Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's something we say in some Christian circles, but make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have individually been given and then sink yourself into that. Do that. Explore that. Discover that. Contribute within those parameters, the parameters that are unique to your life and your unique charism and gifting and season of life. But don't be impressed with yourself. I think Jenny brought a word about the ego that can rob us of the influence that we could have creatively otherwise. So don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others because you each must take responsibility for doing your creative best. Your creative best. Yes, because in doing that, we can help to present Jesus more fully and more beautifully to the world. We can help to advance the society as the church has done throughout the generations for millennia. It's an incredible privilege, um, but it also comes at a, it doesn't just happen is what I'm saying. So um, a few years ago, Callum and I went to Spain on a holiday and um, it was very exciting. I'd never been to Spain before and we went to visit um, Barcelona, Barcelona and um, hasta luego, um, that's about where it ends for me. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, we were going to visit the Basilica of the Sagrada Familia, which is the very famous cathedral designed by the Catalan architect, Antony Gaudi. And I was so excited. It was one of those mornings where I woke up really early because I was just jazzed about going to um, Sagrada Familia. I think we got up at like six while we were on a European summer vacation and went and lined up and there was already a line around the block to get into this cathedral. And what I love about this is that I am a, um, a lead light junkie. I am a cathedral tragic. Like, I am all about it. I'm the person on the tour guide that's buying the book and asking the questions on the bus and everyone's getting annoyed. You know, like, I did this tour through Scotland and I think that the tour was actually far more informed because I was there asking so many great questions. Anyway... But what I love is to travel through Europe and England and I used to live in England and I would go to cathedrals and there was cathedrals that I would love to go into because of the way that the light would bounce and refract in the cathedrals. And um, somebody um, got a bit cranky at our church a while ago because we introduced this demonic device called a haze machine and um, naturally we lost all integrity and ability to communicate truth or to have fun or to be actual authentic Christians because we had haze. And um, I was like, oh, was not expecting that. Okay. And um, and I was telling this to another friend who's a, a, a creative pastor on the Gold Coast and he laughed at me and he said, what do you think um, stained glass windows are? And he said, it's a light show. And I was like saying, because we have the haze machine, because um, we've got these directional LED lights and it just softens it and it makes the room glow and it's, you know, it reduces the heat and it just, you know, da 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 And yes, it looks cool in photos. Um, and no, we are not a nightclub and et cetera. Um, <laughs> and, um, Anyway, and that's what happened. And this guy just laughed and he said to me, what do you think stained glass windows are? 
They built stained glass windows into cathedrals because they wanted people to be stirred and moved and awestruck by the way the light bounced and refracted. And so what you had was light, which was created by God, being given a portal within which to dance by humans so that people going into that space had the ability and the opportunity to focus on this beautiful expression of creative response, which used what God had gifted to the world, but turned it into something which was a celebration and a thing of beauty to behold and it captured people's attention and the dust would refract the light particles just like the haze machine they didn't have haze they just had filth which would fly up into the air and refract from these beautiful stained glass so I just love visiting and I could not wait to go to Sagrada Familia Basilica because I wanted to see the stained glass windows which are unparalleled in the world now few fun facts. Has anyone heard of Sagrada Familia? Put your hand up. Has anyone been there? Keep your hand up. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to have talks after this sesh. So, designed by this incredible architect called Anthony Gaudi, who was a devout Christian man. And he wanted to build a cathedral to the glory of God that would captivate people's attention. And he pioneered new ways of building and he would take his inspiration from nature. And so most of the cathedral is built around parabolic structures, which had never been used before because up until that time, it was more of a Gothic architecture, which used buttresses and cross beams to shore up the building, more like a Notre Dame kind of a vibe. Oh, rest in peace. And, um, and guys, it's not a person. It was a faulty electrical wire. Jeepers, chill. They'll build it again. Or will they? I'm actually really excited to see what they do with Notre Dame. Like, it's devastating and tragic. But the bees survived, and now we've got a chance to build more great lead lights. So, what are you going to do? I don't know. Guys, go with me here. It's really actually unnerving. I can't see. <gasps> My senior pastor is here. My senior pastors, Andy and Steph, are here. I did not know you were here. Hey, guys. I didn't, it was fine this morning. It was great. Everything was fine. Okay, so get this. Basilica Sagrada Familia started construction in 1883. That's 135 years ago, and it is not yet finished. It has taken twice as long to build Sagrada Familia as it did to build the Great Pyramid, and that's with modern technology. Okay, um, Taj Mahal took 123 years to get built and the Sagrada Familia is not expected to be finished until 2026. And in 2027, best believe I will be on a plane. Um, so let's take, and this is the scope, the scope and the level of intricacy and the level of depth and the level of complexity and the level of ingenuity required to construct this cathedral built to the glory of God. Now what is incredible about this cathedral is that every single part of it is designed to be symbolic. Not, nothing is just purely functional. Everything has a symbolic meaning attached to it. It says that the basilica is designed to tell the story of the gospel in every particular over and over again. Inside the cathedral, I've got some photos for you. Inside the cathedral, here we go, keep going, see you later. Right, so this is inside the nave. This is as you come in. So this is kind of the front door to church. You might be able to see the red line there. And um, Anthony Gowdy famously said that sunshine was the best painter 
yes, that the, what God had invented, the light, was the most beautiful thing. And so what he wanted to do was give the light something to dance within. And so he designed these beautiful stained glass windows, all of which tell the story of the Gospels and the story of key figures in the Bible. Let's go to the next one. The nave is 60 metres tall. 60 metres, 200 feet tall, 60 metres tall, and it's designed to replicate a forest canopy. You can see that, that the big columns are the trees and they've got branches that go out and, and the light is like it's poking through a forest canopy. Now, these photos do it about minus 25,000% justice. When you walk into this building and you look up 200 feet into the air and see that, we've got another one. He designed, you can sort of get a bit of a sense of it there, it's just astounding. And he designed every single window, he measured the light, he um, designed different stained glass windows so that during the solstice season, as the seasons were changing, different light shows would happen. And there's a two-week period where it's almost impossible to get in there because people are seeing the solstice light show, which is what Gaudi used to, um, he designed these uh, stained glass windows to make that possible. When you go in there, every um, parabolic shape in that nave is designed to create an acoustic which sounds and he said he wanted it to sound like a celestial choir was singing just for you there is a 350 seat choir stall above uh, just to the left of this um, side of the picture it is unbelievable the thought that has gone into it and he said he wanted the light to just dance and the sound to bounce and to refract and to get into you in a way it is the most incredible thing I think we've got one more this is part of the solstice light show. You can't really see it, but um, if you ask me afterwards, I can show you. But all of that whole section is bathed in an orangey glow. And then as the season changes and it goes to winter, it turns blue and green. And it's just the most incredible thing. It's the most incredible thing. So what Gaudi did was that he worked within the parameters of nature to give back to God something that would reflect some of his glory and goodness that could be seen and felt and experienced by anyone who walked inside it. How cool is that? It's just incredible. It's just incredible. So his sole desire in building this, it was his life's work, was to glorify God. He wanted to create a symphony of light and the celestial choir acoustic. He wanted to build something of such scale and grace that whoever you were, you could not help but wonder what had inspired it because it takes you beyond yourself. It is truly a transcendent experience to go to Sagrada Familia. Now, there's a guy called Jose Manuel Almuzara, Almuzara, Jose Manuel Almuzara, and he is a guy who heads up the committee to beatify Gaudi, to make him a saint. And um, on the basis that his architecture, his creative best, his creative contribution, him, the fruit of him sinking himself into the work that has been given to him has caused so many thousands of people to convert to Christ that he deserves to be a saint. And the dude was an architect. He was not even a priest. You know, he got run over by a tram when he was stepping back um, to just check the alignment of one of the towers and they thought he was a hobo. And the reason he died was because they didn't think he deserved medical attention because they thought he was a homeless man. You know what I mean? It's tra actually tragic. Um, but here we are. We've got Sagrada Familia, his little baby. That's going to be incredible. So that's what happened. But the thing was that they wanted to make this guy a saint because his architecture caused people, his creative best caused people to turn to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you an incredible story. This same guy, Jose, said 
and he was at the cathedral the other day and I read this interview quite recently and he said that there was a man who came to him who said he was an atheist and he said, Jose, Jose, I am an atheist. What is happening to me? He's standing in the cathedral looking around and he says to Jose, who was taking him on a tour, I'm an atheist. What is happening to me? Something was happening to this man who was in his 70s purely because he was standing within the creative contribution of a Christian who had chosen to do their creative best. Are you catching what I'm throwing here? This atheist guy went on to say, I was thrilled. I didn't know how to explain how I felt. And then Jose went on to say he was moved at 75 years of age looking up at this wonder of architecture which lifts you upward. So Gaudi wanted his life's work, he wanted his creative best to be a gift back to God. And so he would painstakingly review and change plans. He would experiment and he would pioneer new things. And he would try and fail and try and fail until he found a way of making it work. And he often received criticism of this because people perceived it as him second-guessing himself. But his response when he received criticism for what he was investing in this work was, my client is not in a hurry. My client's not in a hurry. And he talked long. He said, I'm not going to... He knew he was going to die before the cathedral was completed. And he was totally fine with that because it made room for the creative contribution of the next generation. You look it up. Fact check me on that. The guy was so articulate around that. And he just wanted to immerse himself in the process and the joy of discovering ingenious, new, fresh ways to communicate his revelation. And the outcome of which is that he's being made a saint purely because he did his creative best. He did his Galatians 6 creative best. <sighs> I feel like I'm doing a lot for Spanish tourism tonight. <laughs> Anyone with me? You're welcome, Spain. Hey, when I'm writing this, it reminds me of a time in the Old Testament when King, David, uh, King Solomon, rather, David's son, was... Um, entertaining the queen of Sheba and she was the queen from another kingdom and she came because she'd heard of Solomon's great wisdom and she'd heard of his wealth and she'd heard of um, the prosperity of his nation and so she decided to come and see for herself and she knew that Solomon was a man of God and it says, it says in the Bible in 1 Kings verse 3 I think, uh, 1 Kings 10 verse 3 that um, Sheba, the queen of Sheba came with many hard questions for Solomon, many hard questions because she wanted to understand his faith and fair enough too. Anyway she comes and she comes with a big flashy show and she brings camels and spices and gold and show off and I'm rich too, Solomon, you know, you ain't all that and a bag of frankincense, like whatever. And, um, and she comes and the story goes in 1 Kings 10 that she is undone, literally, by what she sees when she sees the wisdom of Solomon and what that wisdom has produced. Now, wisdom was Solomon's creative best. Wisdom was his unique contribution to the world. Wisdom was his thing. Wisdom was his um, unique charism on his life. It was how God used him the most. And the wisdom that saw the creation of the most incredible temple of worship that history had ever seen to date. And when she saw that, and when she saw the state of his servants and the way that the staircases had um, whole burnt offerings lining them, when she saw the extravagance of his court and the peace and contentedness even of his slaves she says it says there in 1 Kings 10 verse 9 that she was breathless she was breathless 
In the New King James translation, it says that there was no more spirit left in her, no more ego left in her because she'd been so humbled by this incredibly transcendent environment that she'd been taken into. This is the power of your creative best. And so whether or not you are comfortable with this concept and whether or not you feel qualified as a creative, quote unquote, the reality is that the human spirit is conditioned to respond and to unlock in the presence of creative contribution. It's just how it is because we are created. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make humankind in our image. In other words, chip off the old block. You're just going to be like your old pappy over there in the street, creating everywhere you go because he's a creator. You won't be able to help yourself. So whether or not you feel like it, whether or not you feel qualified, you are a creator. And you need to contribute your creative best because that's how you can serve God. That's how you can reveal Jesus to a world that so desperately needs him. Amen? Come on, church. Come on, church. My mum was told all through her schooling in England that she wasn't creative. And so she had no confidence to pursue art or music or any of the things that are traditionally determined kind of the more sort of artsy kind of vibes. And so she never did to the point where she um, wouldn't even contribute ideas and, and contribute to discussion and conversation because she'd been so shaped by the words, oh, you're not creative, best to pursue science and maths. So she did a science degree and now she's a pastor. What's happening to us? Dropping like flies up in here. But the thing is, is that she is creative. My mother was creative and no schoolmaster in Peterborough, England gets to say about your life or my mother's life whether or not you are created because Genesis 1.26 says you are created in the image of a creator God who creates and we live in the world that he created. Amen? And so we respond to that. And the Bible teaches this, that your creative best is going to be the best thing that will communicate the story of grace that God has written in your life. Because that is what the world needs to hear. And so what that looks like practically is up to you to figure out what is your creative best. Don't compare yourself to Anthony Gowdy or King Solomon very resourced gentleman, crazy, like, like, like savant level genius, not unlike myself. <laughs> I'll be here all week, amazing. <laughs> but your creative verse will communicate the grace of God. It will create, communicate the story of God. It will communicate the character of God to the world around you to the world around you. It's so exciting. So make a careful exploration of who you are. In other words, who God has made you to be, uniquely knit together so that you can express what only you can express of his character. So make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. But take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. Church, we have a responsibility to create, to contribute, to shape culture, to shape scholarship, to shape thought, 
and we can do it. You'd be amazed what you can influence because in doing that, it's how we carve pathways to God. It's how we carve pathways for people to follow, to find God. It's like leaving a trail of breadcrumbs everywhere you go that lead to Jesus. That's what it does because you're hinting and you're creating moments of wonder and you're writing songs and you're writing poetry that captures people's attention in a way that hasn't before. And so it's so incredible. So we drop hints and we celebrate and we celebrate our revelation by responding to the love of God that we understand to be true in our own lives. This is our creative best. The power of creativity to connect people with the divine is unquestioned and undeniable throughout history, throughout humanity. It doesn't matter what faith you profess. We are moved by the creative. We are moved by the artistic. We are moved by the ingenious. We are moved by it, are we not? It doesn't matter race, creed, age, whatever, you know, music, art, beauty, discovery, science, math, logistics. There is beauty and creativity and contribution that must be made by the church of Jesus Christ because it's going to leave a trail of breadcrumbs home to him. But we're not Anthony Gaudi or the Queen of Sheba. Well, she was pretty good, not as good as Solomon, so I shouldn't have mentioned her. You know, Michelangelo said, whatever, Queen of Sheba. Um, Michelangelo, anyone heard of him? He, he, he goes all right. So he is this incredible contributor, an incredible creator, responsible for some of the most astounding works of art in history. And he said this beautifully famous quote. He said, we see the angel in the marble and we chip away until the angel is set free. We see that. So basically he would carve. He was the guy who carved the statue of David, right? Unbelievable. Also saw that. Um, that was on that same trip where we were like, hallelujah, in um, St. Mark's Cathedral, which I feel like you should be more impressed about. <laughs> Your girls sang in St. Mark's, but whatevs. Now we're in this chapel, equally as beautiful, if not better. <laughs> um, so... He would see, have just a lump of stone in front of him, a lump of marble, and he would look at this formless, shapeless thing and he would imagine what it could be. He would imagine what it could express. He would imagine what he could reveal by his labor. In much the same way as it says in the Genesis story that God's spirit hovered over the waters and he called things that were not into being. He created he pulled the mountains out of the ground. He created the limits for the seas. He did all of that. He caught, put the stars into the sky. He saw what was not in what had no form. And he used it to express. He used it to give us to us as a gift. Like we live in the gift of creation, yes? We have been gifted creation by God. So it helps us to understand him. But I'm not Michelangelo. I do not have a lump of marble. I am not Anthony Gowdy. And I am very busy and important. And I'm also a stay-at-home mom. And I don't even know, like, what are you wanting from me? What is my creative best when I'm too tired to exist? But here's the thing. It's like I said earlier, we cannot afford to kind of shove creative responsibility onto like those with henna tattoos and part-time jobs. Like I said, right? You know, Hannah's, like creativity is not the purview of like the Rastafarians in the mall, you know, banging their steel drums and whatnot. It's not the purview of those who just can't get a real job, Right? Creativity is essential for the human spirit and we need to start finding better language to articulate God's intention for it lest we reduce it to something that we think that is just, you know, a little cherry on the top of whatever we think makes a good life. 
without actually appreciating that it's the arts and it's the creative contribution, it's the ingenuity of humanity that actually stirs us and opens us up. When you watch a documentary, who's been watching Our Planet? Oh my gosh, I'm crying because everyone's everything. We're all going to die, and all the polar bears are going to die, and it's going to be terrible. And I'm like, what do you want me to do about it? Anyway, log on to ourplanet.com, and David Attenborough will tell you. <laughs> but it astounds me watching God's creation in action. It's it's just, I can't even. It's like, and that's even better than Anthony Gaudi, you know, walking into the nave, that 60 meter tall nave. It changes us, it stirs us. We need that. So we do not have the right to offload creative responsibility onto other people because we are all commanded to do our creative best, to take responsibility for the life that we have been given, for the unique gifting and charism that we have been given. There is a doctor in this room who has made it possible through his life's work and research to have women with infertility issues be able to have babies. That is unbelievable. That is a reflection of the ingenuity and the grace of God. That because of this man's diligence and hard work and observing of what was not a formless shape of marble, he has been chipping away until he's found the soul for a problem that's going to change people's lives and convey value upon them in the way that our Father in heaven wants to convey value upon humanity. You matter so much to me that I'm going to find a scientific way. I'm going to help engineer a scientific breakthrough that's going to release you into the thing you want most, which is to have a family. And I'm not saying that God is like a cosmic vending machine and you just plug in the right thing and it's like, give me a baby, woo. It doesn't work like that. But the reality is, is that this guy sitting in this room is doing his creative best and lives are being changed. He's not designing a cathedral. He's helping people have babies both equally beautiful, both equally sacred, equally valuable in the sight of God. So do not diminish or discount your creative best because your creative best is essential in this time and in this moment. Amen? How are we going for time? I didn't, I didn't look. Keep going? Praise. <laughs> Will do. All right. I am very, I'm going to tell you two things just quickly in closing that are going to help you find your creative best in your everyday, okay? Um, and I, um, it's going to be two things that are going to help you. The thing is, um, the first thing that I have realised about creativity and any kind of creativity is that most people who say, I'm not creative, it's not that they're not creative, it's that they are tired or it's that they are stressed out or it's that they are overscheduled, or it's that they are constantly distracted. It's that they are constantly wired and plugged in and stimulated all of the time. And it's like everything is ramped up to level 10 all of the time and there's not a moment to breathe. And then when somebody says, do your creative best, you're like, ah, you don't know my life. You know? Anyone with me on that? All the parents in the house. Kill me, literally. My son... <laughs> delete no I tell you that sorry it's a bit fresh for me I was getting ready to come here and I left my laptop open on the bed and my youngest son hopped up on the bed delete 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 clack 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 then hit save lose half my sermon and the rest of it is all higgity piggity jumbled moved cut paste some of it's highlighted blue go figure and I'm just like all I did was do a wee and brush my teeth and and I have to be at church like now so it was just a great day he's an art oi he's an artist creative best <laughs> but here's the thing. If 
you want to do your creative best, we need to learn the discipline of the creative process. And all of us need it. It's essential to the human condition. The first thing that I have noticed that is the precursor to any and all creative contribution is margin. It's margin. It's having enough space. It's having a place of rest where you can unplug from the tyranny of urgency all the things that are clamoring for your attention where you can switch off screens, where you can get yourself away from the things and just, just breathe. Just breathe. I see a psychologist and she literally doesn't let me talk until she's happy with the depth of my breathing. Your diaphragm's so tight. Shut up. Ah. And then like I just do what she says. For, I'm sorry, I sound so angry today. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm not. Um, and I just breathe, and she just helps me to breathe for five minutes. And then she's like, okay, now, what did you bring to talk about today? And I'm like, you tell me. You're the psychologist. What else? Anyway, it's great. So very, very helpful. But here's the thing. I look after the interns in our church, and they're a bunch of beautiful sort of 18 to 20-year-old kids. And, you know, one of the early weeks of our teaching series this year, we had a really honest chat and they were just like, I don't know, I'm just so stressed out all the time. I've got so much anxiety. I've got all these things. I don't know, to, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't even know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool. And I said, I want you to go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. And it's going to be on the screen for you. And again, this is the message translation. It says this. It says, the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is by taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created. People have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. In other words, that transcendent experience of eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of God's divine being or divine nature. But it's by taking a long, thoughtful look at what God has created. So it made them go out into nature. I made them go and sit on a hill or sit by the beach and just let that put things back into a bit of perspective. Because without margin, our brains don't have a chance to still long enough to receive new information, to ponder on something, to wonder, to have curiosity about. And we're not going to be able to generate if we're so wired, if we live at the end of our stretch all of the time. And so part of the discipline of living your creative best is pulling back so that you can create some margin, so that you can do your creative best, you can ponder, you can find yourself in spaces of delight and ease and reading a great book and being amazed by a sunset and actually letting it change you. Is anyone sounding to be like, oh my gosh, this sounds a bit like whack. I hate that I said whack. <laughs> <laughs> But open your eyes because the basic reality of God is plain enough by taking a look at what God has created. People have always been able to see what they can't see. They've always been able to connect with the fact, like you stand on a mountaintop and you survey um, some incredible vista and it's just like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. It's so beyond what I could con contribute. It's so beyond anything I could do. It points you towards something greater than yourself, yes? And so then you can start asking your questions, yourself questions about the character of God and the God who made this. Where did I come from? What is the meaning of life? How does a tree grow? Why is salt so slow? I don't know. But you're not going to wonder that when you're living at the end of your stretch and you're tired and you're scheduled all the time because you're very busy and important, right? Because money is really important. Sending your kids to private school 
you know, doing all the things. We've bought into the lie that the things that the world says are important are actually what delights the heart of God. But he wants to delight your heart. And he wants you to take a long and thoughtful look at what he has created to help stir that sense of wonder and awe and curiosity in you, which is going to be the fuel for your creative best. So margin is your friend. You need energy to be able to respond creatively. And whatever that looks like in your context is going to be your journey. It's going to be so cool. And the second thing, just in closing, to help with your creative best is this, is to learn to love parameters, to learn to love the limits. I used to work in marketing and public relations, and we would always say the smaller the budget, the more creative we need to be. You know, the more limit we have on the resource, the more innovative we need to be. And what you don't want to do, and what a lot of times Christians and like sort of tend to do in the church is we go, oh, well, we do what's been done before. And then next minute you're singing the same songs you were singing 60 years ago and wondering why you've lost an entire generation because they can't relate to the contribution that you're making because it's not creative anymore. It was creative 60 years ago. You see the difference? And so the creative best starts to become something that we've done before because we know how to do that and that's easy and it doesn't take any energy and I don't have to shift or adjust any of my margins in order to deliver that, right? But what we actually want to do is pull that back, create some margin and work within parameters like the octaves, 12 notes but infinite possibilities which is not something to be conquered or controlled. It is something to be discovered and enjoyed and delighted in because who knows what we might find in that process. The smaller the box, the more innovative we must be, the more limited the resource, the more ingenious what we must be, the less time we have, the more we must make it count. So what if you are stuck at home with three kids and at the end of the day when you've tidied everything up, it's like, what have you got? Can you get up 15 minutes earlier and just write or sing or walk or lie on your back and look up at the sky. I don't know what you need to do. You've got to figure that out. And don't compare it to anyone else's because it's not fruitful. It's not helpful. Experience is not the bar for what is possible into the future. It's just a measure of what's been done in the past. So we want to pioneer and cultivate a spirit where we're working within parameters but not using the parameters as an excuse to deny our creative best. That's how things like Anthony Gaudi's Basilica Sagrada Familia get built. Because he wasn't willing to do a cathedral the way it had been done before. Solomon built a temple that nobody had built before. It was special, it was sacred, and it was designed to reveal God to people who didn't even know his name. So give yourself some margin. And learn to love the parameters of your life because they're going to shift depending on the seasons of your life. When you do study season, it's going to be different. When you've got kids, it's different. When you're working full time, when you're retired, the parameters are always shifting, but the opportunities are always infinite. It's just about working within them rather than fighting against them. And, you know, worst comes to worst, just take a long, thoughtful look at what God has created it'll bring you back to that place of wonder and awe and reverence and curiosity and desire to be a part of it. So God is looking for the artists. That's you. Even if you're an engineer, even if you're an economist, even if you're a high school teacher, the artists who are willing to carve those pathways and lead others into his presence, into his heart. He's looking for people who want to impact the earth 
with the glory of heaven. He's looking for people who want to do that regardless of fame and fortune, to dream and to create and to change and influence culture through songs and stories and art and science and maths, discovery and ingenuity. He wants us to see that angel in the marble and keep chipping away until it's set free. And that is your creative best. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.